Welcome to Better Than Nothing. What you are about to hear is just me being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. This episode of Better Than Nothing is brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. Your hearing is our priority. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. That's 877-955-4020. Hello, this is Ken Root. I am returning to the subject of a podcast that I did last summer. This was on industrial hemp, and I uh, I put more time and energy into this podcast than some because I wanted to go see the hemp actually growing near Great Bend, Kansas, and I wanted to talk to the people who were actually doing it in the names of uh, Melissa Nelson Baldwin, her husband Aaron, her brother-in-law Richard, and to get an idea whether or not this crop has any chance of really making it. And Melissa joins me, still fired up about uh, industrial hemp. Melissa, how are you? I am good. Better now that I'm talking to you. Ah, oh, that's so kind. Of you. <laughs> you know, meeting you, uh, of others can do the same, by the way, because we're going to talk about a conference you're going to have, was a real treat. You are so non-traditional but yet so intelligent on this subject, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I felt like I was, you know, at a, at a pretty nice place in life to be able to, uh, be with you, go out, look at this hemp, come back, look at all the other things, talk to Richard, um, about the growing of it, talk to Aaron about the marketing of it. I really felt like I got a pretty good cross section and, um, I still have a lot of questions. And probably a lot of people do as well. So where do you consider yourself right now as far as bringing growers in to work with you or just on their own to try growing industrial hemp? Well, thank you for all the nice words. Um, It's easy to share what we do because we're so passionate about it. Um, You know, this this is not something that a facet or, you know, you don't have to put on a face to do this like we genuinely love agriculture and hemp and what we're growing on our farm. And so we love, love sharing that with anybody that wants to come see that. And in terms of working with farmers, we are busy and have been busy the last really six months talking to farmers about the 2023 season. Uh, there's two different options that we can do. Uh, a farmer can join us in our growers group. And so we are there they contract their product to us. We buy it at the end of the season for our processing facility. Uh, we're available 24-7 to help with either machinery or nutrient management or disease and insect pressures that they could be seeing throughout the season and even to the end of the season when they're harvesting and may need help with setting equipment, et cetera. Like, that's what we're there for. Um, if you're kind of out of our region and aren't able to sign a contract, we're still here to help the farmer. We want to help you succeed. If we aren't the right fit in terms of supplying seed to that farmer, we can get you in connections with someone in your area that that can set you up for success. We are just here for the farmer to help them have a successful season. A critical link to all this, though, is being able to truly market that crop and make a profit. And I don't know how many times in my 
almost 50-year career, I've run into something that sounded really good, but there was no market, uh, or the market that was there collapsed. I think you even experienced that when you started uh, dealing with the CBD hemp and industrial hemp, didn't you? Uh, for the CBD, we definitely knew that that market was oversaturated. Um, we got into that for very niche reasons, like my uh, research company, um, and then being able to offer tours and, and people being able to go to the greenhouse and kind of see that type of grow. But, yes, we knew that market was oversaturated, and we knew that that price was going to rapidly fall because of that. Now, on the other side of things, with the industrial hemp for um, animal bedding, insulation, bioplastics, et cetera, we cannot meet the demands right now for the consumers. And so we are desperately looking for more farmers to to put this in their rotation, to use it as a tool in their toolbox, and to give it a try. You have a processing plant that I went through that clearly can handle thousands of pounds of this material, but it's not an easy product to separate out, uh, to have a high quality of the end product, and to um, bulk it, bag it, and ship it. It still, to me, looks like that is as much of a challenge as any uh, in your overall operation. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a different piece to that puzzle. Our background in farming and research uh, has made us very equipped to adapt. And so when we got thrust into this processing space, thankfully, we've got a great facility manager, Dodge Ellie Good, absolutely phenomenal at what he's doing. And he's been with us since day one. And so he he is a piece of that machine, like he knows it inside and out. But we've really been able to develop those SOPs that that consumers are calling for and to allow us to bring that product to market at the highest quality so we can continue moving this industry forward. So we learn every day. We adapt every day. We're still adding on pieces to our equipment line to help us make, help us be more efficient. We're helping other processors in the space get online. Um, other processors that are online, we're helping move their product because we can't meet the demands of our facility right now. Um, so we're really doing whatever it's taking to keep this industry going in the right direction. Melissa Nelson Baldwin is our guest, and uh, you and your husband and brother-in-law started this operation how many years ago? 2019 was our first growing year, and our first year processing, we opened June 1st of 2021. And in the initial phases of it, you had to get past people saying you were growing marijuana. You know, but I have to say that there was not one hint of that mindset <laughs> at all when I came out to see you guys, even though the only thing we ever talked about on Ditchweed, uh, the old hemp or other things had some marijuana joke to them. But uh, it appears you've got that in the rearview mirror. Uh, you know, that's still a conversation that you you have some people bring up and it's just a lack of education and awareness of the plant. You can't blame them just because it has been prohibited for so long. A lot of people don't realize the potential of this plant and of this market, but our focus has really been the agricultural commodities. Our target market market is large scale farmers. And so 
it's just a completely different, as you saw, growing method. You know, it's it's not grown like marijuana. It's not in a greenhouse setting. These are large scale acres. Uh, looks very bamboo like planted at a wheat density. Um, so all crops that these farmers are used to working with, such as hay. So then you start talking, you know, return on your investment per acre. You're looking at net profit. We can now start having those input conversations on this being competitive with corn and soybeans. And so we just don't even really allow marijuana to enter the conversation because we're so focused on large scale ag commodities. Bamboo grown like wheat. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you saw our field. Well, you kind of saw our field at the end of the season. But if you look through any of our social media, um, you'll see that this plant is it could be 14 feet tall. And so that is kind of the bamboo type feeling. Um, but when you look at planting densities, uh, a lot of farmers here in Kansas don't grow bamboo. So when you tell them that they don't really equate that to a planting density, but what they do grow is wheat. And so you can say that, Hey, this is the same planting densities as your wheat crops. And then now they have something that they can grasp on planting density and the type of grow that it's going to be in terms of height with bamboo. Coming up at your conference on the 14th of January, there in the Great Bend area at the Can Equip, which is the uh, Case IH dealer, there is a $25 registration fee for the Industrial Hemp Conference near Great Bend, Kansas. Are you going to segment out your four hours um, minus lunch to cover different areas how do you intend to put the whole thing together yeah so we've been doing this we did this in 2020 2021 and 2022 and so this will be our fourth growers conference now in 2023 and it is a fire hose of information uh, what we do is we start at the very beginning how to apply for this uh, license Yes, it is state dependent, but we can kind of give you a rough idea. We go through the Kansas state license process just because that is the state that we're in and where most of our farmers are at. Um, but I do have resources for any of the other 50 states uh, in, in learning on how to get how to apply for this. So we started the application process. We work you through the different parts of the season. So how you're going to get seed. Um, we supply seed to all our farmers, and so they'll work directly with us. We'll go through planting, what you can expect for in-season monitoring, the different nutrient requirements it has, when to harvest, how to harvest, bringing that crop to the facility, and how to get paid with the contracts that we're offering. So that's kind of the biggest chunk that we have. Um, so if you want to know how to grow this crop from a very practical standpoint, this is the conference that you're going to want to be at. And then in turn, we also bring in um, cover crop specialists. I've got um, hemp insurance uh, companies coming in. So we're not saying that you have to have insurance. What we're saying is here's a reputable company that we trust. And so if that's something that you think your farm wants to explore, here's a connection for you to do that. So the whole day is just about creating those connections making you feel comfortable on how to grow and what to expect throughout this growing season, and most importantly, how to get paid for your product at the end of the season. Melissa, if you drew a circle around Great Bend uh, for people to be growers and to transport their product to you, how big do you think that circle would be? 
well, with fuel prices, it's smaller than ideal this year. Um, but realistically, a hundred miles, you can economically make this work. Uh, we've got growers that are farther than that. And what we do is since we have a trucking company, you know, we use them as a backhaul. If they're willing to be patient and work with our trucks, um, we can get it to them at a better price for moving their product. There's just not that many processors in the Midwest. And so if you're wanting to grow hemp, you may have to go outside of that ideal mileage zone in order to, to get this crop in the ground. Does most of the hemp come in to you in big round bales? Has to come into us with big round bales. And so that's one of the things we cover at the meeting. In order for our processing facility to run the most efficiently, we need large round bales. And so you can kind of expect that with your hauling costs and what you can expect during your harvest part of the season for equipment needed or equipment that you're going to need to hire out to do. And so large round bales. Well, when I was peppering you with questions when we were there in your field, I kept trying to ask you a question you couldn't answer. Not for oh, the <laughs> but because there's got to be, you know, some areas. And I said, okay, what about the kind of specialized equipment you've got to have to grow this? And your answer is? You don't need special equipment. And that's one of the things that we've really prided ourselves on. You know, when we started this, we're falling on a budget. Um, we are, like I said, we are farmers. We are crafty. Um, we were utilizing equipment that we already had on our farm without modifying it. And so that's what we like to show hemp to do or show other farmers that hemp doesn't need this specialty equipment. Now, is there some amazing equipment out there that is specialty equipment for hemp? Yes, there is. But in order for you to get your, your foot, you know, dip your toe in the water, just get this drying out on smaller acreage, et cetera, you do not need fancy equipment to get it done. Well, I think that you guys show that, and you are in a uh, an area of the world I've lived in before, and people that are farming there are innovative. Uh, they also understand that water comes and water goes, and if you've got irrigation, that's good, but it's not always an answer. Um, one area, though, that is still lacking, and I will come, I mean, this is your specialty area, it's herbicides. You don't have any herbicides that are legal to use on hemp at this time. So how are you suggesting farmers cultivate the crop so they don't have to have a herbicide? Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker, who's the president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, I've had your hearing aids for the last 17 years, and certainly they made a positive difference in my life. I'd like to ask you something about the modern day, though, and the research that you have found. Is there a link between an uncorrected hearing loss and dementia? Uh, yes, there is. The research came out about 10 years ago from Johns Hopkins University, uh, Dr. Frank Lynn. He found that you were anywhere from two to five times more likely to develop dementia with an untreated hearing loss. And, you know, everyone says, well, how can that be? And when you think about how hearing works, sound comes into the ear, it hits the eardrum, eardrum vibrates, sends the signal over three little bones. The bones then send the signal to the cochlea that has 15,000 tiny little hairs inside of there. Those little hairs, as they get damaged, will either break off, get brittle, not move as well. 
the correct signal doesn't get to the brain and think about it, you know, like, um, you know, radio, TV, any kind of signal, that signal gets jumbled. You can't piece together what's being said. So you struggle to watch the show. That is your brain with an untreated hearing loss. What happens is your brain pulls from two areas to compensate for that untreated hearing loss. It pulls from cognitive and it pulls from balance and gait. So cognitive being how we understand, how we converse, that gets actually damaged because it's getting pulled from to focus on an untreated hearing loss. That's where the link to dementia actually comes in. So it's because we're pulling valuable resources to focus on an untreated hearing loss, it speeds up that that aging of the brain. So you're anywhere from, even with a mild hearing loss, you're twice as likely to develop dementia. Taylor, thank you very much. You can schedule your free hearing screening at Concept by Iowa Hearing, 877-955-4020, or online at iowahearing.com. What we really encourage our farmers to do is to be very conscious of the planting window. Um, we ask them, you know, if they're more on the regenerative scale or the regenerative side of farming, you know, utilize those cover crops, utilize those different weed suppressants that don't require herbicides. And so there's different ways to still have a successful season and still have a clean field because we don't, we don't want to let weeds go out of control. Um, that degrades the quality of the hemp as it comes into our processing facility and makes us inefficient in separating, separating out those pieces at the processing facility. And so we're going to do our best to support you and get you a game plan to grow a weed-free crop. I recall in that famous first day out there when I met you and we took off for the field, we had to walk through about 100 yards of Palmer amaranth. <laughs> that dang this stuff it's it's the worst of the bad weeds that are herbicide resistant but when we got to the hemp where they had cut it there were no weeds there was just the hemp sticks standing there nothing else except that how do you pull that off cover crops are really important we had cover crops on that field um planting timing was really important and then this crop really is very aggressive and it has a great canopy cover so it's going to shade out any of that sun reaching the ground once it, it once it gets to that very vegetative state um, so a lot of weeds don't have a chance as long as you plant it at the right time and in terms of that area that you walk through with the palmer amaranth we're always looking for to improve next year's season and for that particular instance we tried a residual herbicide so that was done pre-plant when it was still legal to spray that field. Um, then we came and we planted that hemp crop. And as you can see, when you were walking out there, there was very little hemp. And that is because the, the residual just hurt the crop too much. So that's not something we're going to be recommending for 2023. Well, you know, the things you learn from are the things that don't go right. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, that is true. As a lady who uh, is a speaker, is a friend of mine, she said, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Let's move yes. on to your processing. You are able to take this hemp from its uh, original state in the field, and folks can go into great detail with you at the event on how to get this hemp redded and 
and into the bale and uh, into you. But to me, your processing facility is the key, and you're one of the few that's actually started a running a processor. What is the machine that's the unique machine that you have to have to make this work? So what we have is a decorticator. Yes, decorticator. And it is a U.S. machine, and it's going to separate the inside of the stock, which is called the herd, to the outside fiber. And it does that in a way that it it is a very clean separation, uh, dust-free, and so it allows us to give our manufacturers or our end users the highest quality product possible. Now, as far as that decorticator working, uh, do you just peel it off the round bales and feed it in there, or is there a process ahead of that? It's a feeder machine, so because we ask for round bales, it essentially unwinds that bale, um, cuts it off kind of like a mat, and then feeds it into the machine using the unwinder. So. And once you get it in there, that's when it starts separating it out into the the inner and outer portions called the herd and the what? Fiber. Fast fiber, B-A-S-T. And which one of them goes to which type of end product? Okay, that's a big question. Um, so your herd is mainly in your bioplastics, in your animal bedding, um, hempcrete, which is your building material that is becoming more and more popular. Hemp wood is your herd as well. Um, on the flip side, you've got your fiber coming out. That's more your textile market, your ropes. Um, OCB board is being made with a fiber herd mixture. That's that's the big uses for the fiber. Truly, everything that you showed me that can be made from this uh, with your materials, you've separated out in the decorticator, and then you package and get them ready to go. Makes sense, except for one thing. There's somebody that is making those same products from something else at a very large industrial scale today. So, you know, to me, hemp has got to show that it is either a better product, a more environmentally sound product, a cheaper product, or it still can't get widespread use. Yeah, well, you just listed two of the reasons there. I mean, it's a it's a better product. It's more sustainable um, in terms of growing it. And I'm I'm assuming that you're referencing like petroleum plastics, or you could be referencing the lumber industry, which trees take years and years to grow, and we have a four month growing window to achieve that same same result, a harvested product. It's not going to be cheaper just because we are not at the volume with these other products yet. But it is more sustainable, it's more regenerative, and it's going to be healthier for the consumer, the end user. I hear you. But Warehouser is not going to roll over and say, you beat us. Petroleum companies are not going to say, you beat us. They're there to keep supplying the huge volumes they supply as long as they can do it. So, you know, at one point, hemp was the precursor to those materials because you could make it into various things that people used for millennia. But now we're on the opposite side of that to where we have found other sources that may not be sustainable and definitely are not environmentally friendly, but yet 
they have the market. Well, that's what happens when you make something illegal for that for 80 years. I mean, something's got to fill that market space. And this is kind of an unpopular opinion, but something that Aaron Richard and I really believe, you know, we're not looking to beat the petroleum industry. We're not looking to beat the lumber industry. We're just looking to offer that alternative if the consumers are asking for it, which it seems like they are. And we're looking to take some of that market space. We're not looking to beat anybody. We're looking to give consumers another alternative, and we're looking for farmers to have another alternative of a cash crop. So it sounds like you could be like the ethanol industry. You're never going to be exactly bigger it. people, but you are going to be competitive in the fact that you can take a bit of that market. Absolutely. What areas am I leaving out at this point that you feel are major areas to discuss going into your meeting? You know, it's not too late to be looking at your 2024 season. You know, we understand that acre, a lot of acres are already set on farms for 2023. We're having those same conversations. We've put in our seed order for 2023 for our other crops as well. And so, you know, we really encourage farmers to look farther down that pipeline and maybe this is a 24 or a 25 option because hemp's only going to continue to grow. Well, that sounds logical to me uh, in planning ahead, especially if a farmer wanted to start out small. And I'm not sure Absolutely. there's anything wrong with starting out small. You know, do a few acres and see how it goes because it could give you an opportunity to then expand after you've learned what you have to learn the hard way. Oh, we, we encourage that. We want farmers to get in at a level that they feel comfortable. And there is no acreage too small. We're going to support the five acre guy the same way we support the 500 acre farmer. Like all of those acres are important to us and the livelihood of each of those farms are so important to us. And we understand the importance of maximizing every acre that, that every farm has. Um, so. We're all about supporting whatever size that farmer wants to be at. I was thinking when I was talking to you this summer of your growth as almost like a franchise, but it appears to me that you continue to either need to own that processing facility or have some relationship with the owner of that processing facility. Are you talking to that type of group as well, of people who live say, more than 50 miles away from you? We work with farmers outside of our network. Um, we're working with farmers from literally coast to coast and border to border. So it doesn't matter where you're at in the country. We've got a lot of data with the different variety trials and things that we've put out across the United States. And so we can either get you that answer or get you connected to someone that can get you that answer that you can feel confident in it, and it's it's quality data that you're getting. Are you seeing any uh, more either government agencies or universities uh, that are taking a look at whether hemp might work for them to promote through their extension work or others uh, for farmers in their region? Yeah, universities are on board. Kansas has a great program from the animal feed side. I mean, they're looking at grain 
and being able to market it to cattle and feed it to cattle. We've got growers at K-State, um, Dr. Jason Griffith, he, Griffin, he's growing. Uh, you've got different universities from throughout the country. It just kind of depends on their funding and where their grants are coming from. Let me go back to my question earlier about other processing facilities. Would you and your family farm there and uh, South Bend Industrial Hemp prefer to own additional processing facilities that are spaced out across the plains, or would you prefer to uh, have relationships with companies that own those processing facilities? All of the above. I mean, we're, we're happy to step in if we have developed that relationship and look at part ownership, um, or like a, a joint venture to help get a processing facility up and going. Uh, some people hire us just as consultants and we help that facility get up and running and then we kind of step back because they've done what they needed to do. And then some we are just working on a contract basis, helping get their product out the door and sell it to, to end consumers. So. We're pretty flexible. Well, let's, let's finish up with your conference. Uh, about how many people can you handle? Uh, what are the advantages in your view of a farmer there in the middle of January, the 14th, taking a day where they could drive in, hit the conference at 10 o'clock, eat lunch, and drive home? Oh, absolutely. So that's that's kind of the, the plan for the day. We understand that time is very valuable and in short supply. And we understand that far, farmers, in order to leave the farm, it needs to be a very focused day. We need to be very efficient in our time and not waste that person's time or our time. So if you're from out of state, which we have people do that all the time, you're more than welcome to fly in the day before to Wichita, Kansas or Hayes, Kansas. We've got hotels here. Um great entertainment in in, air, in the Great Bend area, come out to Canaquit, 10 to 2. You can be on a flight home that evening because Wichita, which is the closest airport, is about an hour and a half away. We did have last year, we had people fly in and fly out the same day. It's just whatever you feel comfortable doing. But our goal is to not waste your time, to be efficient, get you the information that you need, and then give you an opportunity to ask questions. Of interest to me is that your processing facility is on the grounds of an airport that was a bomber base in World War II. <laughs> and Kansas being the world's largest emergency airfield, if you don't have weather, it's not a bad place to fly into in a small plane and actually land right there. That is true. You'd be about a mile and a half away from the um, conference site if you flew into the Great Bend Airport. Well, Melissa, it's always a joy to talk with you because I I love the optimism, the enthusiasm, and the intelligence you bring to this, and uh, I hope that you can keep that alive. Every year, folks can get a chance to come and basically uh, take the pulse of how you guys are doing because I would say that people that are coming to this conference year to year are seeing an evolution in it. Oh, absolutely. You know, we get smarter. Um, we see more varieties that we've grown on our farm. We find things that work. We find things that work better. And so, yes, just like the industry, we are also evolving. And that way we can turn around and give people better information as we evolve as well. Well, you're also the queen of social media. And, folks, <laughs> if you haven't gotten into social media, going back and forth with uh, Melissa, 
you haven't lived. Tell me how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, so you can find us at SouthBendIndustrialHemp.com. Facebook is South Bend Industrial Hemp. Instagram is South Bend Hemp. Or you can find me on LinkedIn for Melissa Nelson. Well, thank you again for talking to me. And uh, hello to the family and best of luck as you approach 2023 with such an eagerness. Thank you. And hopefully I'll see you back out on our farm. There is a $25 registration fee for the Industrial Hemp Conference near Great Bend, Kansas. The Baldwins are just as they appear, a great family, and worth the trip and the cost of admission. I'd love to hear your experiences if you go. You can send an email to me, kenroot at gmail.com, K-E-N-R-O-O-T at gmail.com. At the end of this year, I'm going to end the Better Than Nothing series. All told, there were 36 episodes. My goal was 52, but I learned a lot about how to efficiently pick topics and finalize the episodes. My love of interviewing made the rest a great joy, and talking with so many amazing people was extra special. What's coming next year? I'm going to go back to the AgriTalk years from 1994 to 2001 when I was the original host. I have 1,800 shows in my possession. They require transcription and editing, but I'm finding connections between then and now. It's really amazing the links I'm already making with people who were on the shows in the 90s or the topic that has not gone away. It's just changed. AgriTalk, The Root Years, coming in January. I'll post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Matchbook covers. I'll see you next week for one more Better Than Nothing to complete this year.